like radio, less like crap. Only alcohol can make life bearable. You must drink, always drink. I blame this all on Kevin, DMU. Has anyone ever known a good person named Kevin? We, we hung out with, with Kevin from Alcohol by Volume. And he only says like three words. He, he's like really shy. He really talked to me. Towards the end of the night when he was drinking more, man, he, he, was, he was right there with us talking a mile a minute. Alcohol by Volume? Oh, I'm actually kind of drunk. Alcohol by Volume, awesome show. You really want to get drunk? <laughs> Listen to that show because by hour two, he's blitzed. I'm bad. Oh, it's awesome. Because it's a beer show. Kevin, some stupid kid. Weird name. Polish last name. Yeah. <laughs> Where's your dedication there, Kevin? Your own show or someone else's? Alcohol my volume. I shove alcohol in my butthole. That's not it. it has nothing to do with butthole. I mean, can you even get drunk anymore? It's kind of like a drinking a vitamin. So you're blaming the drunkard. Yes, I'm blaming the MLR drunkard, Kevin. Hello, bartender. I have thought it over, and far from being a fat pig, you are very nice. And I would like another drink. Take a barf, drunkie! Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Alcohol by Volume. I apologize. I am so not in show mode today, but I will still endeavor to give you something that is at least remotely entertaining tonight. It is episode number 96, uh, the date, <clears throat> Tuesday, January 20th, 2015. Uh, if you're listening live, pop into the chat at morelikeradio.com slash live. If you feel like bugging me over Skype, it's alcohol by volume, all one word. And the phone number for that, goddamn my fucking sinuses again. Phone number 862-345-7125. If you ever have a hard time remembering that, just remember 862-Alcohol. Of course, I know trying to spell out numbers on cell phones doesn't really work as well these days, but whatever. It's still a good number, goddammit. Um, so I might as well just get into uh, what I purchased over the, uh, over the past week slash weekend, whatever. Uh, I went I went a little crafty again because there were no other variety packs that were really jumping out at me. So I went with Blue Moon's early 2015 variety pack. It has Belgian White, Farmhouse Red. I love Farmhouse Red. Uh, rounder Belgian Style Pale Ale. Uh, let's see. Valencia Amber Ale, which I think... Uh, I don't know if that's... I don't think that's a seasonal. I think that's a, quote, limited release. Uh, Cinnamon Horchata Ale, which is nice for me to be able to get an opportunity to get that again since they do not sell the six-packs out here. And then new to this variety pack, they also have it in six-packs, is First Peach Ale. I actually had a bottle of the First Peach Ale, um, and I really did not know what to expect. Blue Moon's been actually doing okay by me lately, but I didn't know what to expect for their take on a peach beer. It's not as good as RJ Rocker's Son of a Peach. It's not as good as Dogfish Head's Festina Pesh. But it's actually pretty good. It, it doesn't have the tartness level those other two beers do, but it has a very natural peach flavor. It's not artificial tasting. Uh, I could I could just stand for a little bit more peach tartness there. But otherwise, actually, a, a pretty pretty decent, decent effort from them. Uh, I really don't have any complaints about anything in that variety pack. I, I The Belgian white is just a solid Belgian white. Farmhouse Red is a very affordable 
uh, pseudo Flanders red. Um, Rounder, the Belgian style pale ale, is good. Um, the Valencia amber ale, I was I, I can't even. I had one bottle of it. I can't even remember exactly what flavors I was getting out of it, but I remember it being quite good. And then I've raved about the cinnamon horchata ale. I wish uh, I wish Blue Moon would make that a year round, easily available in six packs kind of thing. But I know why they don't. You know, you wanna you wanna lend some specialness to it. Then I also picked up a couple growlers on the weekend. Uh, I got Smutty Nose Strawberry Short Vice, which is a uh, Berliner Vice. And uh, very low alcohol on that one, too. I think it's like a 3.7. And uh, there may or may not be an upcoming YouTube review for that one. If you want to check it out, uh, youtube.com slash MLR Alcohol by Volume. That will probably be going live in the uh, coming weeks. And then I also got, well, actually, what I'm uh, drinking right now. From Angry Eric Brewing uh, here in New Jersey. Their Cranberry. It's, um, I'm trying to remember what the actual classification of it is. Angry Eric uh, Cranberry. It, it it has um, cranberry, but it's, uh, it's brewed with Belgian yeast. So let me see here. Angry Eric. Uh, they describe it. A cranberry ale with spices, a fruit ale with tart cranberry aroma, a kiss of cinnamon, uh, and fruity esters from the Belgian yeast will balance the tartness of the cranberry, which would otherwise make you pucker. See, I like I like the pucker. I want a little bit more of it. The cranberry is very faint in this. Good, but faint. But I think it works well with this. Uh, the ale finishes with a touch of the old world, brewed with juniper to add bitterness, as was traditionally in Scandinavia. A refined palate might even detect the gin nuances from the juniper berries. Now, I, I could not, I, I couldn't tell you what juniper would taste or smell like. So, let me see here. No, no, I, I, I. Then again, my sinuses are fucked today anyway, so I probably wouldn't be able to tell. In any case, it's good though. I mean, I'm, I'm probably picking it up as. One of the spices there, kind of thing, but really, really good. And I like supporting local, uh, local breweries. Let's see, they are based out of Lafayette, New Jersey. So I occasionally pick up stuff from that. I've been meaning to get to their brewery, I just haven't had a chance yet. Um, my my wife and I are trying to clean up our finances, and sadly, this is going to make me discover exactly how much I tend to spend on beer in a given time period. Uh, since we started logging this, uh, I think it was middle of last week, beginning of last week, maybe something like that. Uh, I'm at $48 so far. Now, keep in mind that, you know, that, that was with two growlers, so, you know, they, be fair with that. Come on. Uh, but I'm thinking to kind of keep my sanity going at home, I'm going to be dipping into my spirits a little bit more. It might even lead to me doing some spirits reviews for the YouTube channel, um, like the bacon vodka that I have here. The um, uh, Busted Barrel Dark Rum uh, from a New Jersey distillery. Uh, I got that Lucid Absinthe. Although if I was going to do that, I'd want to do it right. I'd want to do it with the slotted spoon, the sugar cube, all that kind of shit. Because I would end up just completely like slaughtered if I did not do it properly for a video review. Uh, what else I got here? Eh, I mean, I got Bacardi 151 next to me. I got Captain Morgan Spiced. Uh, I got a Midnight Moon uh, Moonshine still. Which one is this? Is this the Apple Pie, I think? Uh, da, 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 natural. 
I don't even know. I think it's apple pie. So I don't know. Maybe I'll do a review on that one too, uh, just to kind of fill fill some gaps that I will inevitably have when uh, when I have to cut back on the beer purchasing a little bit because I sure as hell am not going to uh, go cheap and like start buying PBR or anything like that. Um, I suppose I could, you know, drive out to the Trader Joe's that sells beer out here and get the uh, Simpler Times Lager really cheap. But as much as I like that, I think there's only so much of that I can drink. Uh, there was some big excitement for me this past weekend into Monday, sort of. Carton Brewing in Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey, released their canned version of regular coffee, which if you guys remember the list of uh, beers of 2014 that I released at the end of the year, regular coffee was number one on my list, had it once at a festival, had not been able to taste it since then. Well, apparently they had a uh, release at the brewery this past Monday, or past Monday, yesterday, Martin Luther King Day, and of course I couldn't go out there to get any, which pisses me off. However, I found out from Carton that they are going to be distributing some cans to stores that normally carry Carton. There are a few stores in my area that carry Carton. So I am going to be kind of trolling around them, seeing if I can pick up at least a couple four-packs of this because, oh, God damn, I, I, I love, love, love that stuff. I mean, I know um, in, um, in was it in Caldwell, the Cloverleaf Tavern, I know they have it on tap right now. Oh, God damn it, wish I could go out there and get some of that. But alas, not meant to be at the moment, so I'm going to keep an eye out for those cans. Uh, if anybody listening in Jersey actually finds out you know, a store in North Jersey, like Morris, Sussex County, uh, where they may happen to know they'll be showing up. Please let me know. I'd really appreciate it. But I know there are a few, a handful of stores that I'm going to be checking on the reg for the next few days at least because I heard they're supposed to be getting onto shelves by the end of the week. So crossing my fingers. I, I may actually hit a couple of stores on the way home tomorrow just, just to see. Maybe one of them on my lunch break because knows what else I'm going to do on my lunch break. So I'm intending this to be maybe not a high energy episode. Uh, maybe a little more Todd Berry energy. But uh, this is probably going to be kind of a bang bang, more fast paced episode, catching up on stuff I haven't gotten to over the past few weeks. Sprinkled with some new stuff here and there as time permits. So if there are no good segues in the show from topic to topic, well, fuck you. I'm not hippo juice, so I'm not, I'm not that skilled. But I do what I can. <clears throat> so uh, the first bit, a little press clippings. Um, this is something I had brought up in the past. This is from, uh, well, it's from Fox News, but, you know, uh, if you can overlook that little bit there. New Hampshire measure would allow minors on beer labels. Now, before you question, like, what the, f what the fuck are they talking about? This is really all about Founders Breakfast Stout. And uh, if you're not familiar, Jesus Christ, there's some shenanigans going on outside my door. If you're not familiar with what the label for Founders Breakfast Stout looks like, I'm posting it in the chat right now. There's basically, it's a little kid eating a bowl of presumably oatmeal. Um, has a bowl that says Founders on it. It's, it's a cute little image. It's basically evoking the image of breakfast. It's not trying to say, hey kids, drink this. I mean, only an idiot would think that. But in New Hampshire... 
it is illegal for brewing companies to sell ale, stouts, porters, lagers with an image of a miner on a label. And going through the article here, it says one lawmaker is going to work to change that law. New legislation proposed in the Granite State would make it legal for breweries like Founders Brewery in Grand Rapids, Michigan, to sell a beer with a miner on the label. A brewing company makes a bottle of breakfast stout that features a baby plastered around the bottle. I think they were going for a pun there. Uh, state Rep uh, Keith Murphy is sponsoring the measure. The law would allow kids to be featured on alcoholic beverage packaging as long as the state's liquor commission determines the picture is not enticing minors to drink alcohol legally. Uh, <clears throat> did I say illegally or legally? Illegally. Can't enunciate today either. Uh, Murphy is the owner of Murphy's Tap Room in Manchester and says the breakfast stout is his favorite. Murphy can sample it from his tap, but not from a four-pack because the tap handle does show a minor. So they're trying to say, under the current law, that the founder's baby is kind of like Joe Camel. But again, if you've seen this bottle... It's clearly not the case. And honestly, I never thought Joe Camel sold cigarettes to kids really either. I mean, it, it, it was a it was stupid label mascot kind of thingy. Um, you know, critics thought, oh, they're trying to recruit young smokers. No, you, you know what recruits young smokers? Life. Life does. Life also recruits young drinkers. So it has nothing to do with the imagery. Um... Murphy says it's misguided to suggest a chubby baby eating breakfast would lure an underage drinker to a specialty beer that sells for a comparatively pricey $12 for four 12-ounce bottles. It's obviously not meant to appeal to minors. It's a breakfast stout. It's a very heavy beer like a bowl of porridge. It's a very delicious beer, too. Um, let's see. They go. Uh, federal government, most states already prohibit alcohol labeling and advertising that targets minors, but again, this does not target minors. It happens to have an image of someone who is a minor on the bottle. So it is it, it, it's it's a weird weird area for that. But um, considering this was um, considering this was Fox News um, I would say how, looking in the comments it's stunning how idiotic some people are regarding this issue. But they're a Fox News commenter so it's uh, not really not stunning I suppose. Uh, a few, a few. Well, let's see. There, there were, there were some good ones too here. Uh, pictures of the Gerber baby on thousands of jars for the past five decades haven't influenced any teens into consuming strained carrots. But let's see here. Uh, here we go. Um, it's a Dem state. What do you expect? New Hampshire, the Alabama of the North. Ugh. Um. Let's see. Typical for this region. A picture is still worth a thousand words, and they know it. It's called association. I see many here are disassociated. Uh, somebody's trying to blame it on Michael Bloomberg somehow. Um, let's see. Okay, this one thing lawmakers have to do is remove ancient laws from the books because they no longer serve a purpose except to confuse people. Yep. Um... Isn't it great when government becomes so massive that there's insane laws like this? Um, law's been on the books for quite a while, dummy. Um, politicians and government, G-U-B-M-E-N-T, need to get out of the way! All in caps. This is ridiculous. Um, oh, okay. And then I, I love this. This, this was, this was the prime, prime idiot. 
in the comments thread. This is GC125. Not like we can identify them by this. It's a waste of government time debating a law that has probably never been challenged except for this one beer since the law was enacted. Why doesn't the company use a label that follows the law? And of course somebody replied, somebody that actually had a brain cell, saying, uh, because the company is in Grand Rapids, Michigan and sells the product nationally and no one else has an issue. So hopefully people will finally, finally be able to get bottles of Founders Breakfast Stout in New Hampshire this year because it is a fantastic beer and it's a stupid goddamn reason to not be able to get it up there. Fucking dumb. You know, simple as that. Um... Let's see. Got this from the Chicago Tribune. This was this was going around Twitter quite a bit over the past week. Uh, Lagunitas dropped a lawsuit against Sierra Nevada after social media backlash. Now, uh, let's see. Uh, Lagunitas sued Sierra Nevada Brewing Company this week. So uh, last week, claiming copyright infringement for a beer label prominently featuring the letters IPA in ser- uh, serif block letters. An image Lagunitas said has been essential to its brand for 20 years. Now, let me uh, post ooh, excuse me, this image in the chat. And you can kind of see. But to be fair, I mean, that... Uh, yes, it is iconic for Lagunitas. But I don't think I would look at that Sierra Nevada and confuse it for Lagunitas. Especially because of the big Sierra Nevada banner at the top of it. Um, but, um, let me get back to the article here. Uh, the battle became the first round. Oh yeah. Cause they, they made some fucking, uh, boxing analogy. The battle became a first round knockout when social media backlash caused Lagunitas founder, Tony McGee, uh, to withdraw the suit, uh, a day after filing the suit. So he um, he was on the phone with the Chicago Tribune saying, you know, why he filed the suit and everything. So um, they basically asked him what happened. He filed the suit Monday. Word spread by Tuesday. So this was last week again. And he announced on Twitter on Tuesday that he would drop the suit. Running a business is basically a process of answering questions. And one question that's become pertinent is whether our trademark and presentation of Lagunitas IPA is something that's defendable. It's never been challenged. When Sierra brought this new product to the table and I saw the graphics on it, I thought it was the moment we have to answer the question. In early December, I called Ken Grossman, founder of Sierra Nevada. He said, which of your labels do you think this is an overlap with? It was like, okay, I can see what's happening here. He said, I see what you're getting at, but we're not making any changes. So we pursued our legal remedies. We began immediately preparing the complaint, doing research. The question had to be answered, was that our mark? We believed we had a pretty solid case. Then asking why he dropped the suit uh, before we got uh, to that court and there was another court the court of public opinion which is more vibrant and alive and engaged yes because Twitter is fucking insane obviously the old adage that the customer is always right is true a thousand times now when the court of public opinion weighed in they said in no uncertain terms that what I was doing was a bad idea and they didn't or uh, no uncertain terms that what I was doing was a bad idea and they didn't approve overwhelmingly Overwhelmingly, it was clear that the course I had undertaken was the wrong way to go. He goes on to say, um, the the label is trademarked. Uh, he says, because it might appear generic doesn't mean it's not trademarked. 
Um, he compares it to Maker's Mark, which is tan paper with a little black ink, or Jack Daniels, black paper with some white scrolls and some words. Okay, t- to be fair, though, <sighs> again, Jack Daniels, that is a very, very iconic image. It is very clear when something is trying to rip off Jack Daniels. Um, Maker's Mark, maybe not as much, um, but Lagunitas IPA, are you basically telling other brewers they cannot, I don't know, put the style of their beer in big letters on the front of their beer? It's, it's a little curious. Um, he said, when we first did that label in 95, IPA wasn't presented like that. Back then it was called India Pale Ale with the Taj Mahal and Bengali, Bengali Tigers in the background. When we did that label, it was new under the sun. It's become a standard, which is gratifying, but now people think it's generic. Okay, fair. Yeah, um, it's kind of like, kind of like what you what you get when um, you watch Citizen Kane. Now you think, well, what's the big deal about this movie? I I I happen to enjoy Citizen Kane, but you don't realize that Citizen Kane did a lot of these big film things first. So apparently, Lagunitas really the way they presented the term IPA, they were the ones to do it first. Um. They asked him if the reaction was humbling, and he said, by the end of the day, I felt like I'd run a marathon or been beaten up, and all I did was watch a screen. Yeah, that's that's what Twitter and Reddit will do to you. I realized I'd already gotten my answer to the question I was trying to get answered. Our trademark has its limits. Episodes like that are the most ferociously engaged focus groups imaginable. If you're not listening, you're foolish. Um, he, and he thinks if they had gone to court, they would have been successful, but it would have basically pissed off his customer base there like people you know there have been threads on beer advocate and on reddit and stuff like that where people initially when the lawsuit was going said i'm not drinking lagunitas anymore this is bullshit why is he doing this um and and there was there you know there there was a lot of backlash for it um uh let's see and, and just kind of goes into now, you know, kind of the world of craft beer and stuff. Um, let's see. Uh, they've gone after smaller brewers before who got a little bit too close to the IPA label. Um, he, uh, McGee said, we had to contact some smaller breweries, but we've never had to litigate. Conversations emerged. Um, and Sweetwater Brewing came after Lagunitas for using 420 on beer labels. And... He says, you know, it's a funny thing to have a trademark on a cultural meme like that, but in fact, they do. So, you know, I recognize that. I'm cool with that. It's why there was no argument. I've used 420 since 1997. If I wanted to be a bastard, I could have looked to overturn their trademark based on previous use. But what would be the use? So I think he, he kind of realized that the way the customers dictate the market, he, 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 was, making it, he was making it look bad for himself. That's really what it came down to. He was making himself look like an ass. Um, yeah, he was defending his mark, but and and they may have been there first. But again, I don't think you're uh, even your average beer drinker. I don't think they were going to confuse a Lagunitas IPA with the Sierra Nevada IPA. It just happened to be very similar typeface, very similar. Um, you know, stretching of the font kind of thing. I don't know. But um, a 
comments on the article, McGee is a class act, approached his competitor to discuss the problem first. That is fair. Absent a resolution, he asserted his rights in court as he was completely justified in doing. His clientele let him know they did not want that for the brand, and he immediately changed course and admitted the business mistake. He did the right thing every step of the way. And I'll, I'll agree with that. He, he, he did the honorable thing here. He, he didn't come across like an ass like some other brewers out there may have. Um, let's see. Dun, dun, dun. See if there's anything else. Um, mm, oh, God. Uh, social media lynch mob strike again. And yeah, not a, not a lot of great comments on this one, but eh, whatever. Uh, let's see what else I got in the little press clippings. Uh, Associated Press, more beer legislation challenges in Florida. We, uh, we know the story. 64-ounce growlers are illegal. You can have a 32-ounce, you can have a 128-ounce, but a 64-ounce, oh no, what the fuck, you know? What if somebody gets pulled over and says they've had a beer? Oh, well, what if it's a 64-ounce growler and that's their a beer? Bullshit excuses and stuff. So liquor stores and beer distributors um, challenge Florida brewery licenses. Florida liquor stores and beer distributors are challenging the way the state issues licenses, allowing craft breweries to sell their products in tasting rooms, a move that brewers say could put dozens of breweries out of business or at the very least halt rapid growth in the industry. There is a booming craft beer community in Florida. I do not understand why these politicians, I mean, obviously, you know, money talks, big beers paying them mightily to do this, but good God, you're growing jobs, you're growing local business, and you're doing everything you can to try and shut it down. Uh, the Florida Retail Federation is suing the Department of Business and Professional Regulation and the associations that represent Anheuser-Busch and Miller Coors distributors have asked to intervene in support of the suit. Separately, the Florida Independent Spirits Association filed a challenge with the agency. The association includes ABC Fine Wine and Spirits Chain, which is the state's largest liquor store chain. The group said they aren't trying to shut down the brewery tasting rooms. Yeah, you are. But rather to clarify the law that allows the brewers to serve draft beer to drink on site and cans and bottles to take home. We're not asking them to withdraw any licenses. Moving forward, we're asking them to stop issuing licenses as of right now under their current practices and to design a rule that better explains how the law should be applied. <sighs> Okay, well, God forbid, you know, say, say Cigar City wants to expand. They want to have um, another, you know, another location within Florida. Uh, well, you're not going to have a license for that location. And that is the kind of thing that, again, Cigar City has threatened to move out of Florida. And it's shit like this that is going to cause that. Groups contend that the state agency has been improperly issuing retail licenses to brewers under a law passed to allow Anheuser-Busch to provide beer at the Busch Gardens theme park in the days when the brewing giant owned the attraction. If the agency doesn't spell out the rules on how the law should be applied, the legislature might have to come up with a fix. Oh, okay, so it was okay when Anheuser-Busch was doing it, but oh, no, no, we got, we got to change this now. We got to change this now because other people are kind of getting into our getting into our pot of money here. But brewers who have fought with distributors over tasting room beer sales over the past few years don't believe that's the only motive behind the actions. 
If they get a clarification, then what? We know our tasting rooms drive them crazy. I can't imagine their intent at the end of the day is to get a clarification of the rules, and then they're just going to be done with it, said Ben Davis, owner of Intuition Ale Works in Jacksonville. Existing breweries and new breweries could be in limbo until this gets resolved. Eric Chris, president of the beer industry of Florida, which represents Miller Coors distributors, said he supports the idea of tasting room sales for breweries, but the licensing process needs significant clarification. It is our belief that such clarification will benefit brewers, retailers, and distributors. <coughs> Anheuser-Busch, <coughs> Miller Coors, <coughs> fuck you. The actions also come after beer distributors said they wouldn't fight a bill that would legalize 64-ounce beer containers known as growlers. The issue is a top priority for brewers. Uh, okay, and going in 32-ounce, 128-ounce. Uh, Republican Representative Dana Young of Tampa, who's pushed for legalization of the half-gallon growlers, was upset by the lawsuit. This lawsuit seems to be aimed at shutting down the tasting rooms that consumers love, and I think it begs the question, what good is a 64-ounce growler? if the brewery tasting room does not exist to sell it. See, that's a good point. Um, oh, we're, we're going to lose the battle on the 64-ounce growler? Okay, fuck your tasting rooms then. You're not going to be able to fill those growlers now. It's kind of a smart move when you think about it, but it is uh, pretty shitty of them. Uh, Florida's grown from a state with six craft breweries in two, uh, 2007 and nearly 90 now. Most startup breweries need the profit from tasting rooms in order to grow. Without the tasting rooms, you see a majority of these breweries go out of business, uh, said Josh uh, Abushan, a lobbyist for the Florida Brewers Group. When you first get started and you're making 500 barrels a year, the tasting room is your lifeblood. That's how you stay afloat. And it really is. It, it, it seems like Anheuser-Busch, Miller Coors, all the lobbyists and everything, they're, they're trying to nip these new breweries in the bud. They know that craft beer has gained a amazing foothold in Florida and they're trying to stem the tide now. Um, let's see. Do, do, do. Uh, somebody's trying to turn this into a Republican, Democrat, well, sort of Republican thing. Um, do, do, do. Just looking at the comments on here. Another state-sanctioned monopoly that does not want competition. Um, okay, and, uh, okay, I will give that this is a fair point. True conservative Republicans should side with the craft brewers, yes, because it, you know, free enterprise. But our legislature has a proclivity to follow the money, and it's not just the Republicans. It's, it's, it's all the motherfuckers. Uh, let's get to a more fun kind of story here. Um, I actually, in terms of um, Super Bowl ads, I actually did see that, uh, or the the kind of preview for the new Bud Light or was it is it Bud Light? I think it was Bud Light, not necessarily Budweiser ad with the life size Pac-Man game. Uh, they, they they showed a teaser for it. I, I think it was during the 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 uh, ass raping that the uh, Packers got involved in when they uh, decided to bend over and take it up the ass at the end of the game. Uh but I saw that on there. But uh, Newcastle is apparently doing something too. They're uh, trying to. Well, okay. You know what? Let me let me play this video because I think this is probably the probably the best way to explain it. To to give you an idea, this is Aubrey Plaza in the video, and I like Aubrey Plaza. I I, I you know she's cool, so I I can kind of get behind this. She is uh well, it's a shot of her milking a cow. So we'll kind of start with that. Let's see if it'll load. Fuck you. Oh, now you're saying the video is private? You cocksuckers. 
How is the video private? I watched it today. Uh, here we go. Get ready, marketing fans. See what happens when a bunch of brands and their marketing budgets join forces. Newcastle's Band of Brands ad is coming, and it's going to be so amazing. A little more excitement, please. More excitement? I, I am excited. That's, it's just, that's just my voice. It's permanently sarcastic. And I'm genuinely excited for you and your commercial that you had to pay me to come do. Sound really sarcastic to me. I'm not being sarcastic. This is just how I sound. If there was like a Scottish guy here, would you make fun of his accent? Is there a Scottish guy here? If there's a Scottish guy here and you didn't tell me about it, I will. Anyway, watch as Newcastle teams up with some of the universe's most willing brands, including some of the universe's greatest napkins, toilet paper, snack food, underwear. Hold on, my friend's texting me. No, I am not doing anything. Wasn't last night weird? I thought so. Seriously, Aubrey. Get ready for Newcastle's Band of Brands ad. It's going to be hilarious and amazing and definitely not a giant waste of money. I mean, do you think people on farms dress like this? They don't. They wear overalls and I look like a I'm dressed like a milkmaid and I'm milking an actual cow and getting milk all over my hands. So that was, I think, I think that was a kind of creative thing. But basically what they're going for, it's, it, it's like a consolidation of ads um, or a consolidation of products, it sounds like. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see where they go with this. And I think this, this is a decent way to build buzz for a commercial uh, to really kind of see where they're going with it. Um. Let me see. There's another another video on here that I have not checked out. So let me see what they're saying here. Uh, Brands of America uh, help us make a big game ad. We can all be proud of because all 20 to 30 of our products are crammed into it. It's Newcastle's band of brands, the most exciting, jam-packed, fiscally responsible game day ad ever. So let's see if there's different stuff in this one. This is the United States of winning. And we're taking it to the end zone every day. And this is a long ad too. Because two and a half minutes. America. There are no timeouts, and it's Americans like you that make America so American. This almost seems like a South Park ad. American, America. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that was so moving. Uh, big game advertising, right? A great way for big brands to blow $4 million on 30 seconds of airtime. But hey... Why do big brands have all the fun? Why do they get to blow all their money? Shouldn't the little guys have a chance? Well, Newcastle Brown Ale has come up with a totally exciting, sexy, brilliant solution. The Newcastle Band of Brands. Get ready. She is so this expressive. This one's going to be fun? That's right. We're looking for brands. Like, I don't know, maybe your brand. To chip in for an ad we can all be proud of because all 20 to 30 brands are crammed into it. Look at this adorable dog that could make your battery brand more appealing to high-earning <laughs> mothers aged 35 to 44. So basically, what, what this comes across as, it's Newcastle is trying to do a crowdsource ad for the Super Bowl. I think that's a fucking brilliant idea. Um, shit, if I, if, if I had the money, I'd advertise my show on there. God damn it. But sorry, I'm not uh, not doing that well with cash. 
Um, duh, 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 duh. Ooh, there we go. Uh, but eh, neat idea. So I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to checking that out. And I will admit I am still looking forward to seeing that Bud Light ad just to see how they did the live action Pac-Man. I I, I don't give a shit about uh about Bud Light, obviously, but I would like to see the life-size Pac-Man game. Um, I like Pac-Man, so it's not going to make me drink Bud Light. It'll make me watch a commercial, but it's not going to make me drink Bud Light. Um, and to be fair, this ad campaign probably may not necessarily make me drink Newcastle either, but I'd consider it a little bit more, probably. Uh, where are we at right now? Well, I guess that's pretty much it for like the little... Little press clip. God damn it, why is my phone ringing? Son of a bitch. Now I have voicemail, and I have no idea why. Um, let's see. What do I do? Well, this is one I've been sitting on, and uh, I think by, by the time the month is over, it will not be topical anymore. So Draft Mag decided to post 10 New Year's beer resolutions, and it's basically a must-do list for the next 12 months. And it's all beer related. And I think there's actually some decent stuff here. There's some stuff that needs to change in the beer world that is being suggested here. And that better not be my fucking car alarm going off or I'll be pissed. Uh, Let me look out the window here. Nope. Definitely not mine because it stopped. Uh, okay. Let me get to the list here. Number one, attend a beer release. Be the first in line to taste what's new, whether it's amid the rock and roll chaos of Dark Lord Day, or simply enjoying whatever your local brewer is putting on tap for the first time. You'll meet people who are as stoked about beer as you are, and get first dibs on tasting what could be the next 100-point beer. I will admit, I have never been to a beer release. I mean, god damn it, if I had, if I had gone to Carton yesterday, if I had been able to, that would have been a beer release for me. Um... One of these days, one of these days I'd like to. Um, I, don't, I don't have much opportunity to, but I'd, I'd really, really like to be able to do that at some point. And it doesn't have to be one, you know, one of the crazy-ass big ones like Hunapu's Day or, you know, Hetty Topper or stuff like that. You know, it, I'll go local, and it doesn't even have to be some big heralded beer. It can just be something new. It's like, this is something we're really proud of. This is our release day for it. Come on down to the brewery and check it out. You know, it's not not something where you got to line up around the block, but devoted drinkers that wow, that that makes us sound like a a actually respectable group of people. Um, Devoted craft beer drinkers. That sounds a little bit better. Um, And, you know, people are just, you know, loyal to certain breweries and stuff. You know, they'll they'll be there and it it could be, you know, fun time. Uh, Number two, stop hoarding beer. Yes, 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 yes. They say the madness that is our beer cellar, 764 bottles and counting, has got to stop. If you're like us, you save a few prized bottles for a rainy day or a special occasion, but when a few becomes your entire basement, you've crossed into hoarding territory. Most brewers bottle beer to be drunk now, not later. So stop saving, start pouring. <sighs> I Believe me, I wish I could hoard beer. Um, I have enough problems keeping my fridge full for more than a few days. Um, I mean, the the one beer that I could say I'm hoarding because I am not supposed to open it yet is the Stone Enjoy After 10, 5, or 10.31.15. 
because obviously not supposed to crack that open until October of this year. Um, I've been relenting on opening up my bourbon barrel aged, I think it's bourbon barrel aged, uh, pumpkin because I want to let it sit and see kind of what happens to it and then maybe have a little bit of pumpkin in the middle of the summer or something. We'll see how I handle that. But otherwise, I, I don't have, first of all, I don't have the finances to, you know, really stock a beer cellar. I mean, if I had the finances, I'd probably start with like, you know, a proper bar with all the different spirits that I need, then I'd move on to the beer. But even then, there's not a lot of stuff that I'd want to, that I can get that I'd necessarily want to sell her. I mean, the closest stuff, you know, maybe like the um, Stone um, Imperial Russian Stout, things like that. Maybe I'll start doing that now that I have my fridge. So, you know, when it releases get one bottle to drink now, one bottle to just keep in the fridge, and then eventually have my entire bottom shelf of the fridge be that stockpile. It's definitely not going to be, you know, a huge amount of bottles, you know, probably 10 at the most. But I've, I've never understood how people are able to do that, but goddamn. Oh, and uh, talking about release parties, Sherry said they're fun. They went to the Liftbridge Silhouette uh, release last year. And actually, speaking of that, if you did not check out uh, my video on the YouTube channel this past week. It was for the 2014 Liftbridge silhouette that I did get from Mitch and Sherry. And I believe their 2015 release, they're having the release party on, uh, what is it, the 24th? Is that, uh, let's see, one, two, three. Is that Saturday, I believe? Um, so if you're able to do that, go for it. Um, let's see, uh, Mitch, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mitch says, I can't, I physically can't hoard beer. I'm an alcoholic that can't help myself. And that's, that's really, really too close to the truth there. Uh, too close to the truth there, Mitch. Uh, oh, God damn. Chef Sprocket says they're tapping Sweet Baby Jesus this week. Bell's Cherry should be on by the weekend. God damn. Bell's Cherry is really good. I want Bell's here. Sweet Baby Jesus, fantastic. And they've been hoarding a keg of sexual chocolate. Ah. I don't mind you hoarding that because that that's just going to keep getting better. And, yep, Mitch and Sherry confirm Saturday this weekend is the 2015 Liftbridge Silhouette release party. So, um, that that is that is one thing I'm going to I'm going to make it a point to do attend a beer release this year. And uh, I'm not going to hoard beer because I like Mitch said I'm physically incapable of doing so. Uh, number 3 Keep it fresh. While you're at it, start marking your bottles with the date you purchased them. They say they slap a date sticker on every brew. Jesus Christ, how, how can you be so organized? And don't keep anything older than three months. Well, wait a second, though. If you're aging slash hoarding your beer, then how are you not going to keep it any longer than three months? Now, to be fair, this is actually kind of a cool idea. Um, the date stickers on the beers, again, if I get... Stone Imperial Russian Stout. I'm just going to use that as an example because that's the one thing I can think of that I'd be able to hold on to. Uh, if I could, you know, know exactly when I bought it, then I kind of know how long I've been holding on to it. Simple kind of stuff there. Uh, number four, evaluate your beer. Use your words, join the beer rating conversation online, but share your score and your thoughts on sites like beeradvocate.com or ratebeer.com. You'll stretch your beer vocab beyond hoppy and malty and make a meaningful vote for what tastes great. 
Plus, you'll be journaling your beer tasting journey. Now, technically, I already kind of do that. I I do not review on uh, Beer Advocate. Um, I may start doing a little bit on rate beer. I don't know. For some reason, I, I, I don't know. Rate beer comes across as, I don't know, less less elitist to me, I guess. I mean, I go to Beer Advocate all the time, but I always feel like I don't belong, if that makes sense. But I log all my stuff on tap too, so that that that's a complete roadmap of what I've drank during the year. And even though the rating system there is, you know, it's a one to five star kind of thing, it still tells me what I liked, what I didn't like. Um, and of course, I mean, I do my reviews on the YouTube channel too, so that's definitely, you know, rating beers as well, just not numerically. Um, uh, okay, Mitch says, do what normal people do. Buy some beer and fill up your shelf. When the shelf is empty, buy more beer. And that's typically what I what I try and do. I will, yeah. I don't, I don't try and overthink it too much. I think the most overthinking I do now is, uh, do I want to get a six-pack of all the same beer or would I rather go with some sort of variety pack? And I've been doing variety packs lately, so... Um, yeah, Chef Sprocket has a good point there. His beer shelf barely stays full for a uh, full 12 hours. That's kind of my problem, too. I bought uh, bought this variety pack of Blue Moon on... What day did I buy that? Did I buy... Shit, did I buy that yesterday? Fuck. Nah, maybe Sunday. Um, and uh, it will probably be completely gone by tomorrow. So... Um, I know that's not exactly that fast to drink 12 beers, but, you know, I like having a full fridge, but I also like drinking this stuff. It, it, it's, it's a difficult thing to deal with. Uh, number five, have real conversations too. Join a homebrew club or a ladies drinking group. Ooh, can I join a ladies drinking group? Or a beer running club. Yes, that is me. But they don't have any beer running clubs by me that I know of, which sucks. Because that's totally my kind of thing, even though I don't necessarily like people, so I don't know. But they say, find kindred spirits who share your love of beer. I think that's uh, that's pretty much you people in the chat. That is that is what it comes down to, you people in the chat and those that uh, watch my videos. So, you are my conversation. That That is what it comes down to. Number six, learn by drinking. The best way to learn about new hops, drink them. Watch for beers brewed with brand new hop varieties. Equinox hops are fully loaded with lemon, lime, papaya, and green pepper notes. That's a nice combination. Kohatu from New Zealand hops are uh, mild and known for a tropical twist on pine. And Neo-Mexicanus hops bloom with melony flavor. See, I, I can just tell my wife, I'm trying to learn. But you've had this one ten times before. I'm still learning. Uh, it's what I did with that Latitude 48 case. I was really trying to learn about those individual hops and learn the flavor profiles, the aroma profiles and everything. Um, and I want to do more of that this year. I, I, I know I'm not going to be an expert on hops because I, I don't think I have the fortitude to really do that. I don't think I have the sensory perception to really do that. But I'd, I'd like to get better at it. So... Um, number seven try the beer and food thing cook even just one dish with beer and taste how wonderfully it flexes its muscle in food you'll do it again I will 
do that this year, and I would really like to uh, record it so I can uh, have it on the YouTube channel. I believe uh, my wife and kids and the in-laws are going to be going to Florida at some point in the next few months, which will leave me having the house to myself, and I can set up a multicam shoot of me getting drunk in the kitchen making something. I don't know. But I, I, I like cooking with beer. I just, especially nowadays, and I don't, I don't have the opportunity to do it, especially since this is not my kitchen, and I don't quite feel comfortable cooking in it. <sighs> um, oh, Chef Sprocket says they do a beer chugging 5K there a couple times per year. Oof. You know, that, that's got to be rough, too, because, I mean, a, a simple beer mile is quarter mile, 12-ounce beer, quarter mile, 12-ounce beer, quarter mile, 12-ounce beer, quarter mile, 12-ounce beer. And uh, if you don't puke, you pretty much win there. <laughs> uh, number eight, update your glassware. My wife will not let me buy any more glassware, um, which reminds me, I actually got some new glassware. <laughs> um if you got to wash your lone tulip glass every time you pop open a sour, re-up your glass cabinet, invest in glasses that reflect what you drink. If you're a sucker for stouts, you don't need fancy Belgian flutes. If you're obsessed with IPA, stock up on a few curvy IPA glasses. I actually got two new glasses recently that I kind of paid for a while back, but not really. Now, you remember that Stone Kickstarter for uh, Stone Berlin. Initially, when I added to the Kickstarter, it was just for a Stone Berlin t-shirt which I got, and they said, you know what, we're being so successful that uh, everybody that was on the t-shirt tier, you're going to get a glass too. Okay, cool, awesome. And then they updated again saying, everybody that was in the t-shirt tier, you're getting that one glass, and you're getting another glass too. Awesome. So I have two Stone Berlin glasses, a um, little bit larger than the Garden State Brewfest glass that I have, but similar kind of goblet style. Um the stone one's closer to about a pint, whereas the Garden State Brewfest one is a 12-ouncer. But fucking awesome. I, I love I love having multiple types of glassware. I mean, I got these. I got my stout glass from Left Hand that... Um, fuck, I'm forgetting the uh, the name of the... Uh, Spiegelau. The Spiegelau glass. I got my uh, Stella chalice that I got for free. I got my... Utopia's drinking glass. I got my, you know, ABV shaker pints. So I got all sorts of stuff here to drink out of. So technically I don't really need more glassware. I, I got it. I got enough to, to kind of deal with all the different styles, but I would still love more. Oh God. Chef Sprocket says naked drunk cooking Kevin video. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that video could get interesting. Um, hopefully there's no fire involved. I'll try and keep it as safe as possible when I do it. But if, if anybody actually has any suggestions for um, a dish that actually may kind of film well, too, in the preparation of it, um, let me know in the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash alcohol by volume. Uh, I would like to hear. Um, that is that is the URL, isn't it? I always forget. Um, uh have it down here somewhere. Yeah, facebook.com slash group slash alcohol by volume. Sorry. I, I have not been referring to it as much lately. And number nine. Oh, there's two more. Sorry. Number nine, get to Vermont. Huh? Hill Farmstead is collaborating with world-class brewers for its grassroots, la grassroots label. 
The Alchemist recently launched Focal Banger IPA, the baby brother to the coveted heavy, Heady Topper. Magic Hat is still pulling rabbits out of the kettle with new brews and has Lawson's finest liquids ever made a bad beer. Right now, Vermont is beer paradise. Download a passport from the Vermont Brewers Association, get it stamped at breweries around the state, and the t-shirt you win will be a solid second runner-up to the beer experience you've had. That actually sounds really fucking awesome. Oh, maybe maybe when uh, they disappear to uh, Florida, I'll just, you know, drive out to Vermont. I could do that, you know. Try and see if I can skip a day off work or something. Yeah, like, that's likely. Uh, number 10, and, uh, was it Bruges 2? God damn. Uh, Brooklyn Brewmaster Garrett Oliver and beer-minded chef Sean Paxton both call it one of their favorite beer cities in the world. Enough said. Yeah, okay, I'm not... I can't get overseas, you fuckers. That's a bit too much for me. Um, and Chef Sprock is talking about um, he has a ton of glassware all free, so oof, that's a nice benefit. Um, oh, and Mitch said they went to a restaurant once, they had the new Guinness glasses, they asked if they could buy it, and they sold it to us uh, last year when the new style came out. And you know, um, on, what was that? I was on Friday, I was actually out with uh, uh, Hammy, Punchy, and uh, our own Western Echo, and uh, Dennis, he got a uh, Guinness, and it was in that new Guinness pint, and that that glass is fucking beautiful. And that actually reminds me, I, I have an old Guinness pint, but I want that goddamn new one. That is, that thing is gorgeous looking. So, uh, maybe if I accidentally break my Guinness, but no, I don't want to break a Guinness pint. That's, that's got to be bad luck somewhere down the road. So, I don't know. Some Somebody gift me one of those new Guinness pints. I can't turn down a gift, right? Ah, so that that was that, uh, the new beer, New Year's, wow, I almost said new beer's resolution. Ugh. Ugh, ugh, bad, 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 bad. Uh, coming up after the break, handful of stuff. Uh, predictions for the beer scene in 2015. Um, some other craft brewing world stuff. A uh, little bit of stuff with uh, with spirits, general booze stuff. Uh, and maybe, maybe even a little bit about wine. Yes, because... As many times as I've said it, I really do mean it. I am going to get into wine this year. I just have to have to start slowly, and then I will start calling on Sherry for her for her expertise with this. So, going to break. I will be back briefly after this. Alcohol by Cheers. volume, Kevin oh, Show. Hey, hey. Oh, it's the name of the show. Hey, more like radio, less like crap. Want more alcohol by volume? Because I'm kind of drunk for this. Let's shit nuts. Download past episodes at morelikeradio.org. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash alcohol by volume. Like the Facebook page, facebook.com slash MLR alcohol by volume. And follow along on Twitter at MLR underscore alcohol. I find your drunkenness very unappealing. I am drunk, or I wouldn't be talking to you. Hey, smokers, you stink. I'm not talking about your character. That's a given. I'm talking about your clothes. It's time to kick the butts and move over to something more pleasant. I'm talking about e-cigs from Smokeless Image. They're cheaper than cigarettes, don't smell, and are available in a wide variety of flavors ranging from mints, fruits, desserts, or the traditional tobacco flavors if that's what you want. Simply go to tinyurl.com slash mlrsmoke for all your vaping needs. That's tinyurl.com slash mlrsmoke. Antisocial. Gamer Radio. 
Hi, this is Ashley, host of Antisocial Game Radio, telling you to come listen to my show every Tuesday at uh, 9pm UK time, 4pm Eastern on morelikeradio.com. Uh, every week I like to talk about all the latest stuff going on in the gaming world, what's been coming out, what's new releases, all the topics that you like to hear. I'll be talking about it every single week. Mr. Turtle, how many hosts does it take to make a podcast as good as the Shy Kids podcast? I ain't never made it through a whole episode. Ask Mr. Owl. Mr. Owl, how many hosts does it take to make a podcast as good as the Shy Kids podcast? Let's find out. A one, a two, a three, three. How many hosts does it take to make a podcast as good as the Shy Kids podcast? The world may never know. I said three, motherfucker. The Shy Kids podcast. Saturdays, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific at morelikeradio.com. Saturdays noon east. Join Halls and Rorschach as they bring you the news you need to get you through your weekend. Ollie, can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> okay, Ollie, I'm outside right now. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's really boring hard out here. Uh, Sounds like it. Where are you at? Are you in Antarctica? Uh, wait a minute, Holly. I see somebody coming toward me. There's a, there's a man coming toward me. Uh, hold on a second. Uh, what, you, uh, uh, what are you doing in my yard? I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Halls from It's All About Me. Join Rorschach and myself every Saturday from noon to 2 Eastern Time right here on More Like Radio. If you weren't able to catch the last Hippo Juice show, here's what you probably missed. I just keep thinking to myself and it makes me giggle that I, every time I hear the story, I imagine it was Ray Romano in the same situation. <laughs> oh, oh, oh Debra. <laughs> Kind of does. I barely touched her. Come on. Oh, Oh, it was my brother. Look at him. He's bigger than me. Come on. Come on. Everybody loves me. I got got twins. Come on. Oh, let's go. Let's go Home Depot. Come on. Fess up, Raymond. You know it was you that got you on video. Anybody want soup? Ma, come on, we're talking over here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I'm dying. (laughs) So if you learn anything from Hippo Juice, remember, Ray Romano allegedly punched his wife in an elevator. Right. (laughs) We don't report the news accurately. We report half of it. Whatever. It's still news. So fuck you guys. This is more entertaining than some football player. Listen to the Hippo Juice Show live every Wednesday night, 7 to 9 p.m. on morelikeradio.com. Now deep beat, cause the V is so deep. An interesting show, it won't ever put you to sleep. It has all the content that you want the best show on the planet. I ain't even gonna front deep beat. Bringing it again and again. Don't ever miss a show and make sure that you're always tuned in. Hosted by my man Mike and Ski Ray. Keep it turned up on the mic all day. Ask me what's my favorite podcast. I say DP. Listen.
listen to the show while you're sipping on your tea. It's huh. the hottest of the hot. You ain't gotta trust me. Tune into the show and you will definitely see. With Mike and Ski Ray, you can't go wrong. The biggest show ever, bigger than a King Kong. Listen up and don't ever, ever miss a beat. It's Deep V. Remember that the V is so deep. What's up, everybody? DV Podcast. DV. Be sure to listen to us Fridays at 8 Eastern on morelikeradio.com. Yep. Also download us on iTunes. Just type in DV. DV, your favorite podcast. Favorite, favorite podcast. You know, we at the start of the last episode, we went through uh, different nationalities, you know, and now people know that we're Irish. <laughs> and now people know that we're all shite at accents <laughs> as well. <laughs> but I was wondering, is it prejudice to not make fun of, like... All of the countries. Where are you going for here? We'll name check every country on the show. That way, no one can be mad. How about that? I could do Swedish. Oh, yeah. Cool. Birdie, birdie. <laughs> and to the Italians? Papa the poopy. Papa the poopy. <laughs> okay. And to the Mexicans? The hey, man. Uh, Spain? <laughs> Uh, Singapore? Oh. <laughs> Amazing. Australians? Crocodile Doom Dark. No. A big loop, are you? No, that sounds That's like terrible. Limerick or something. <laughs> That's right, we never slag off the Irish, do we? Someone put a bomb in me potato. <laughs> there you go. OSW Review. All Irish, all racist. <laughs> oh, hello there. I didn't see you come in. This is Mitch, producer of Dutch and Royce. I just wanted to take a quick moment to remind you why we are better than you. I took the turkey baster and put it in the glass and sucked up as much pee as I could. I took the turkey baster, after lubricating it in my asshole, and put it up as far as I could in my asshole, and I was repeatedly thrusting it in and out while jacking off and screaming out a boy's name and moaning to make it feel like it was real. I can't believe. I then, I then imagined my. I then imagined in my head him screaming, "I'm coming," and I squeezed the turkey baster ball, shooting all my pee into my ass. I kept taking to the. I kept taking the turkey baster out and filling it with more pee and shooting it deep into my asshole, making it feel like it was a huge cum. Listen to Dutch and Royce live Tuesdays from ten to midnight. Only on morelikeradio.com. Hey, you. Yes, you guessed 10,542. Change your username. And while you're in the More Like Radio live page listening to fine quality programming, notice the banner ad just slightly above the chat room? It's a link to something you want in Amazon. Click it. It's probably reminding you to order something you need from Amazon.com. Don't leave him a lot and type the URL like a sucker. Just click the link and it'll open in a new window. This way you can buy your shit and continue listening to the show. Now, change your username. It's right there on the right, stupid. The official Alcohol by Volume YouTube channel. Find out what's destroying my liver every week. Ah! New beer reviews every Saturday morning. And occasionally some bonus reviews in the middle of the week, too. Hmm, your ideas are intriguing to me, and I wish to subscribe to your newsletter. Subscribe now at youtube.com slash MLR Alcohol by Volume. Come on, let's go drink till we can't feel feelings anymore. A tub of lineup stronger than Owen Hart's safety harness. Morelikeradio.com. 
other internet radio stations are gay. You're listening to Alcohol by Volume on More Like Radio. You're not worried? Why should I worry? Because I'm the one that ripped off Conway's hand? No, about... Or that he'll double-cross us again. Which a blowjob says he does. And Mother and Slater and the CIA are idiots for trusting him. But I'm talking about us flying on the same plane, Lana. What if it crashed? Then I wouldn't have had to watch you pound 20 drinks and then try to talk the stewardess into a hand job. Where, where are you getting 20 drinks? Uh, from 10 doubles? A, those were mini bottles. And two, I'm talking about AJ, Lana. Who's going to take care of her if something happens to both of us? Well, me, obviously. You think, okay, wow, you think in the event of their deaths that you would be AJ's legal guardian. Who else would they possibly choose? You've met yourself, right? If it's anybody around here, it's me. Of course, the one who smokes next to the baby. Duke. Ray. You know... <gasps> Right, Virginia Slim, you're right. Nap time, I have a meeting, goodbye. Uh, hour number two of Alcohol by Volume here on More Like Radio. Jump in the chat, morelikeradio.com slash live. Skype, Alcohol by Volume, all one word, and the phone number 862-345-7125. So the Boston Herald has six predictions for the beer scene in 2015. Let's go over those six predictions and see if it's uh, interesting at all. Um, Oh, dear. Oh, dear. You know what? Uh, I may have waited too long on this fucking article. Uh, Oh, they want me to pay for it. Fuckers. Fuck them. Oh, oh, Boston Herald. Oh, I don't like you anymore. So fuck your predictions for the beer scene in 2015. Um, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give you some of my predictions for the beer scene in 2015 in lieu of uh, the Boston Herald you know, deciding to uh, remove that link and making me try and pay for it. Um, I don't think that... I, I think the, uh, the, the constant worries that they have over... No. Oh no, there's going to be a hop shortage. Oh no, there's going to be a barley shortage. Oh no, the crops are bad. Blah, blah, blah. It's overblown. It's overblown. Uh, I've been reading articles that have been saying it's overblown. So I don't think we are going to see, you know, dramatic price raising in craft beer this year. Because they predicted that for last year, too. Um, I probably predicted this last year, and I was wrong, sort of. Um, this year I'm hoping I'm right. I, I, I'm thinking that more breweries are going to jump onto the sour bandwagon. Um, at least in terms of a, uh, Berliner Weiss, um, more like an entry sour right there. It's not a, not a pure sour, but, um, you may have more breweries trying a lambic style beer because it's not a true lambic if it's not from Belgium. Um, uh, that actually reminds me of a, another 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 YouTube review that's coming up. So uh, teaser on that one. Um, 
but I, but I could see more more breweries just going for a Flanders Red style, not trying to be too adventurous, kind of dipping their toe in to see where where it goes with them. I I know the problem with sours, you know, trying to make them more prevalent is that it is a pricier beer to do because of the risk of, of infection of all your other beers. So at this point, that is why a lot of brewers aren't trying it. Uh, you either have a brewer that does a lot of sours or they do none. I mean, that's usually the case. Um, but I, I'd like to see more try. I'd like to see m- maybe some kind of technological innovation in place that will greatly reduce the risk of infection, of cross-contamination and everything. Because I, I'd like to see sours get little bit more accessible um i think we are going to see particularly during the summer i think we're going to see a handful more um gozas show up i don't think we're going to see a lot of session um session ipas kicking back in this year um i think last year last year they did it and i i think i think that particular trend is done. Um, I'd love to see session stouts. I don't see it happening, but I'd love to see it happen. Um, let me think. Let me let me let me think of an off the wall prediction here. Uh, hmm. I think you know what. I bet you are going to see more spicy beers not not thinking in terms of like you know cinnamon spice but i think you're going to see more pepper based beers i think that is going to pick up just a guess there are a lot of them out there already but i think you're going to see more of them i think you're going to see more brewers start experimenting with that um so let's see here uh let's close that out and let's see what else i got Coming up here in the well, you know what? I want to I want to do this one. I want to make sure that I do this one because Sherry's in the chat, so I think I think this is an important article to read. This is from First We Feast. It has to do with the ten dirty secrets of wine that nobody wants to talk about. Again, I want to. I desperately want to get into wine. I want to expand my wine knowledge this year. I am actually I. I'm swear I'm promising that I'm going to bottle uh, I'm going to buy a bottle this weekend to start um I I I will I will buy a bottle I will take a picture of the bottle that I am buying I will text it to Sherry as verification um I'm going to be going in pretty blind but I think I'm going to try and start with some local wines from New Jersey see what I like I mean I'd love it if there was like a mini bottle sampler variety pack or something like that but I also I have a feeling that as I go I'm going to be consulting more with Sherry, but I'm going to any wine that I have I'm logging it on Vivino so I kind of can track myself there too because it, I, I don't know I just I like wine. I I used to drink wine a lot before I really got into beer. I mean I I had a wine club membership and everything. I had wine shipped right to my door. Um I loved wine. I've I and I found, you know, a lot of wines that came to, you know, some of the wines that came to me I wasn't that thrilled with, but you know, I'm I'm more of a red wine fan. The only problem with that is, ooh, the headache the next day. Good God! But it's like Mitch Hedberg said, it's, you know, 
you're not going to not eat an apple because it's eventually going to be a core, you know, drinking wine and, you know, the, yeah, the end sucks, but the beginning and middle part are amazing. I can't do a Mitch Hedberg impression. I'm not even going to try. So, 10 dirty secrets of wine that nobody wants to talk about. Uh, yeah, I know, 2012, Kevin said the same thing. Yeah, I know. Uh, number one, enthusiasts who pay to have their own wine made in a custom crush facility are giving wine making a bad rap. Only the wealthiest individuals have the kind of cash on hand to actually open a bonded winery, complete with facilities and permits to sell their own wine. Others work around the red tape by getting less expensive permits that allow them to share winery space to make wine for commercial consumption. For wannabe winemakers, these so-called custom crush facilities, or I'm sorry, wait, uh, yeah, facilities, they, they, they're, they're a typo. I read it right for me. Um, oh God, triple cheese covered stuffed crust now exists thanks to Pizza Hut? Boo. Eh, Pizza Hut's too greasy. Um, so custom crush facilities, essentially mega wineries that host multiple brands at a time. This reminds me of some of those distilleries that, you know, just, you know, basically churn out the same vodka or, you know, um, or rum or whatever and just put different labels on it. Um, they're the legal gateway to vintner status, but the clients of these facilities are the ones denigrating the good name of tried and true winemakers because here's the scoop. They're not actually making wine. They're merely owners of a wine brand. Nine times out of ten, custom crush clients are former or current investment bankers, tech entrepreneurs, or celebrities who want to impress their smarmy cronies or self-loathing girlfriends. See, I could see this. Like, uh, I'm Kim Kardashian, and this is my wine. I'm Paris Hilton, and this is my wine. I'm whatever fucking stupid cunt, and this is my wine. No, it's not your fucking wine. You paid somebody to sort of make it. Uh, sure, these posers can dole out the necessary money for Vinfi juice, but to slap a winemaker on a business card is as misleading as donning a Cleveland Cavaliers jersey and telling people you can play ball just like LeBron is the art of stopping by the Custom Crush HQ to ogle barrels or select label designs indicative of a real-deal winemaker? Of course not. Leave your bullshit, slap-together heritage-inspired stories about why you're making a wine behind... Oh, they uh, cite Drew Barrymore for this. Uh, throw all the money you want at events, cozy up to buyers at retail shops or restaurants, and do whatever else you need to do to recoup that investment, but for God's sake, stop calling yourself a winemaker. So basically... Any celebrity that I would say probably 99% of, quote, celebrities or whatever that say they are a winemaker, most likely are not. Um, this is one that I, I, I've I known about, um, but I, mm, I, I think the appearance in the wine world is not this. Uh, that $50 bottle of wine is as good as that $150 bottle. No matter how delicious it is, no wine is worth more than $100 if your sole desire is a quality bottle. Once a wine surpasses $100, the only factors in play are quantity and accessibility. A uh, $100 price tag or above means a few things. The grapes grown or purchased to make the wine cost upwards of $10,000 per ton. Uh, very little of the stuff is made and the final bill is merely a reflection of that demand or the owner's ego. Is the $1,100 bottle really any better than the $550 bottle or the $150 bottle or the $50 bottle? 
To anyone with an opinion and a discerning palate or deep pockets, there will, of course, be critical differences, but to the average consumer, thus me, with little concern for the rarity of wine, the only difference is in the buzz. Literally, generally speaking, expensive wines are higher in alcohol because they've been produced from extremely ripe grapes, which possess more sugar sugar for yeast to convert to alcohol. And this actually reminds me of... Um, oh, wait, hold on. Uh, da, 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 da. Let me see here. Uh, da, 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 da. I'm getting back into the chat here. Um, <laughs> don't drink as much then, dummy. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, oh, Dennis says, uh, only here for a second to say thanks, Kevin. Guinness 1759. Yes, I got a bottle of Guinness 1759 for, uh, for, for Dennis. I procured that for him. Uh, he said it was absolutely worth the $30. Well, maybe $25, but I don't mind. And I'm, I, I was, I was happy to be able to get that for you. Cause it, it's, it Guinness 1759. That is one of those that whether, whether you necessarily think it's worth that price tag or not, it's one of those things that you want to try at least once because again, limited to 90,000 bottles and it's nice to see Guinness trying something different with that. So I think that was cool. Um, Let's see. Uh, da, da, da. Oh, yeah. Sherry has a, a one-gallon wine kit, and Mitch is going to use it to brew one-gallon tests of beer so he doesn't fuck up five gallons at a time. See, they're, they're working together. They're working together. Um, and Sherry, going into um, going into the prices of wines, and I, I, I can understand this. She believes, and I, I, I totally, I think I'm totally with you on this, Um. She believes a twenty or thirty dollar bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon is typically better than a ten dollar, but you can get plenty of good tasting wine for ten to fifteen dollars, and I I totally believe you on that. Um, I will I will probably very much enjoy a ten dollar fifteen dollar bottle of wine. Um, as my palate would evolve, would I say yeah you know what that thirty dollar bottle there is something better about this. Um. Damn it! I had a I had a whole train of thought going here. Son of a bitch! Son of a bitch! Um, I I think I think in that uh, price level there, th there's enough differentiation there. It's when you start getting above that fifty dollar level that I I don't think you're seeing as much of a quality difference as is perceived by some of the people that are, you know, paid to review them and things like that. Um, I mean, I, I know when I, when I was part of that wine club, um, basically they, they kind of averaged out the price of the bottles and they said, you know, some of the bottles that you're getting typically retail for 25, 30, $40. Some of the bottles you're getting are more in that, you know, $10 range and it all evens out in the price that you pay for, you know, for that quarter. Cause I, th I think they basically sent it out to you per season. You know, your spring wines, summer wines, your fall wines, your winter wines. Um, and, um, and for some reason they, they would, they would send me like in between too. And I'd end up paying more money and I, Oh God damn, I spent so much money on that wine. But that was when I really did not know what I was spending. <laughs> but, um, so I'm, and I, I was able to really note the difference between some of the wines when I would research them just in terms of, um, trying to think of the best way to describe this the cleanness of the flavors some some of the some of the less expensive wines they felt 
more muddled, whereas the when you went up a, a price level, it seemed to be a little bit more crisp, a little bit more clean. Um, and um, uh, and Sherry says with with white wine, she's more willing to drink two buck chucks than she is for red. And I can understand that. Um, yeah, red, red wine. Red wine is my thing, though. Uh, white wine, I, I don't find as many that I genuinely enjoy. There are some that I'll drink. I used to be huge in dessert wines for a while, and I, I can't touch those anymore. Good God. Um, but uh, yeah, where was I in this article? Here we go. Um, but I mean, I, I have a feeling you know the 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 bottle that I pick up this weekend, um, and I, I I think what I may do is go to the liquor store, take some pictures of the New Jersey wines. Do a little bit of research, make sure nobody's trying to scam me, and then go back and get one. Um, but I have a feeling it'll be in that $10, $15 range, and then kind of go from there and see what happens. Uh, number three in this list, the Napa Valley wine market is oversaturated. Like the shelves of used bookstores struggling to support all those failed attempts to write the next great American novel, wine store shelves are caving in under the weight of Napa, Napa Valley Cabernets. With roughly 40% of the grape, grape harvest in Napa devoted to Cabernet Sauvignon, the world does not wake each day hopeful that someone will announce the arrival of another new Napa cab. It's a dead horse, far beyond beating, licked clean by aging buzzards and fresh-faced maggots. Oh, that's some wonderful imagery. The consensus is in. Please make a fucking Zinfandel or something. Um... Okay, sorry. Um, and then actually, that that reminded me a little bit of something. This, this kind of goes to this one with the Napa Valley market, and then also to the um, the perception of quality depending on price. You have perception of quality dependent on price. You have perception of quality dependent on location. And there was an article I read, and um, you know th- th- this ended up a little bit more near and dear to my heart because it dealt with New Jersey beers. Or beers, New Jersey wines. See, still have beer on the brain. Um, basically, what the article said was that there were um, blind taste tests done on certain wines, and people rated them in a certain way. And then, when it was discovered that certain wines were from New Jersey, people had a propensity to rate them significantly lower for no reason other than the name of New Jersey the the locale Um, and it's kind of like that a Napa Valley wine is going to be rated higher just due to name recognition than a New Jersey wine a $150 bottle of wine is likely going to be rated much higher than a $20 bottle of wine despite the fact that there may be very little difference between the two. And in fact, the New Jersey wine could be better than the Napa Valley wine in you know certain cases. Um, the $20 bottle of wine may very well be better than the $150 bottle of wine. I mean, you know, who's to say, again, you know, you, you put a celebrity's name on the bottle of wine, it costs you $150, $200, and is it suddenly better than the one that was actually really worked for but doesn't have the big name behind it. You know, it's, and I, I, I think I think you... Well, in a weird way, it seems like the beer market kind of works backwards on that. Whereas the big names, 
you almost expect them, you know, when I say big names, I'm not talking like Sierra Nevada, Sam Adams, uh, you know, your, your big craft brewers. No, I'm talking like, you know, Budweiser and stuff like that. Um, you're expecting the opposite, that the big names are the lesser quality and so on. Um, but it's it, it's an interesting thought with the wine market. Um, and that, I don't know. Part, part of why I'm starting with New Jersey wines is because, A, I want to support, you know, the local market on that. Um, and I figure, you know, it's something I'll be able to probably get pretty easily, too. Um, I know Sherry could easily suggest something to me, and the chances of me finding it, it could be 50-50. So, who knows? Ah... Okay, what do I got here in this list? Um, do, 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 do. Yeah, Sherry likes wine. Red or white, depends on the mood. I used to be like that. I honestly used to be like that, and now now I'm, I'm, more, I'm more red wine. Um, I have a feeling I will change up again as I get more into them, but we'll see what happens. Uh, number four, most winemakers leave the actual making part to migrant workers. Next time you're taking in the... I don't know that word, uh, onological paradise depicted on a winery website, most likely featuring rolling hills of vineyards and elaborate estates, possibly with a winemaker hanging out with his favorite Labrador named Jake, who loves to munch on Chardonnay grapes. Take stock of what's missing. The actual people, um, the beaners, who harvest the product and tend to the wine. Ah, winemakers are generally buried in Excel documents, sifting through figures and calculating how and when the actual tasks of winemaking should be executed, tasks that are then delegated to seller workers. In Napa Valley, many of the people working the crush pads, the production area, all usually off-limits to consumers, where tanks and barrels hold fermenting and aging wines, are migrant workers from Mexico who live off the main thoroughfares of the valley near Highway 29 and the Silverado Trails. Or, yeah, Silverado Trail. Singular. Huddled together in trailer parks and shanty-like settlements, these men and women are tasked with grunt work, picking grapes, driving forklifts, cleaning barrels, racking wine, administering chemicals like liquid sulfur, and managing all the heavy lifting and hard labor. It's, and see, that, that seems to be a very different thing from the craft beer world, too. I, I, I can't picture a brewery saying, you know what, here, you migrant workers, you do all the dirty work, we'll reap the benefits. It is a a very very different world um and actually it makes me think um makes me think I, I i would think it's more pure in like france in italy um whereas will use the migrant workers uh when recognition does come it's fast and cheap sometimes the winery owner will host a harvest party for vineyard and cellar workers and their families who are rewarded with mounds of coleslaw burgers and heck even some wine they might even receive a sincere thank you for working 18 hour days three months straight <laughs> and how about everybody take off monday <laughs> sound good just be back here 7 a.m on tuesday and get that crush pad going we need to caress that freshly pressed juice it's got the smell of uh, money. Yes, money. Or the marketing team will have to work overtime to bedazzle the press with high-toned passion speak. Oh, and by the way, with Harvest officially over, half of you are let go, and I'm going to Cabo in my private jet with hands as soft as kittens. Um, yeah, and that is a shame. It, craft brewers, they get into it. Uh, 
vintners, not necessarily, not necessarily as much I would gather. Um, <laughs> I love it. Uh, Brent, uh, White ass Brent and Mitch are having some uh, having some brewing talk. Uh, don't do secondary fermentation unless you're dry hopping or adding fruits. Yes, secondary fermentation in the fruits. I can see that. Apparently, the sediment gets more compact and it's clearer, and it tastes better if it has a good month in primary fermentation. See, I am living vicariously through Mitch now, because Mitch is doing some serious home brewing, and god damn it, I want to. Oh god damn it, I want to. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna beg and plead for some good home brewing stuff for my birthday. Doesn't come across till August, but I got time. Maybe I'll get my finances in order by then. Who knows? Number five, hating on Chardonnay is the mark of a noob. Wine drinkers who still insist that Chardonnay is some grotesque and awful wine, rich buttery juice, unfit for even Philistines, missed an important memo years ago. Styles have changed with the times, and today's winemakers strive to produce shards that strike a balance between toasty oak, lush creaminess, expressive fruit, and bracing acidity. Gorgeous wines like those from the Burgundy and California's central coast. Unfortunately, the pendulum swung so hard in the wrong direction that even to this day, many producers go so far as to write unoaked on bottles. But, but the fear of the dreaded oak bomb is rooted in ignorance. Uh, admittedly, there was a dark period in American viticulture when the domestic palate demanded a Chardonnay that was as round as the earth, as buttery as I cannot believe it's not butter, and as toasty as a smoldering oak log upon a gentleman's fire. Now... I have never been a huge fan of Chardonnay, but I've I've had a few that have actually been pretty tasty. Um, it depends. Some some of them have been, I guess, overly overly uh, overly sweet for me. I guess. Um, but interesting thing here, they say one of the impediments to producing great Chardonnay is that it's an expensive wine to make. If a winemaker can't afford the $10,000 per ton for top-notch Chardonnay grapes, he'll often trim the budget by starting with cheap grapes. The winemaker can use his special powers, oak aging, acidification, um, chaptalization, and uh, so on, to try and coax a good wine out of mediocre grapes, but at the end of the day, these techniques merely mask unpleasant qualities in the wine. It's kind of like, uh, well, you get in, back into uh, back into the beer world. Um Sometimes you try and mask a bad beer with, you know, an overwhelming amount of other elements, be it fruit, be it, you know, a hop bomb or whatnot. Um, number six, your favorite Napa Valley Cabernet is actually from Paso Robles. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Next time you're taking in some fine Napa Cab, don't pack if you suddenly feel transported to the Central Coast rather than the Golden Hills of Northern California where Robert Louis Stevenson once traipsed around town anointing all wine there as bottled poetry. Um, wineries that do not own vineyards buy grapes for their cuvées, a fancier word than blend, which appears on many labels. The price of grapes can break the bank. Depending on location and quality, winemakers can spend 2000 to 15000 per ton of grapes. Um, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to read further on this particular entry, but to again to equate it to the beer world um not everybody's growing their own hops um not everybody's you know growing their own barley and everything 
uh, not everybody is fortunate enough to do that. Uh, sometimes you gotta you gotta pull from other sources, and in terms of beer, most craft brewers do. Um, I know Stone, for instance. I mean, they have their actually. Um, is it Stone? I know. I know Rogue. Rogue has uh, Rogue Farms. Um, they're they're growing a lot of their own stuff there, so they're able to you know get all their own stuff. But the reality is, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the stuff in terms of um, in terms of fiscal responsibility, they they gotta. It's not necessarily cutting corners, but it's it's getting getting things the easiest way they can, the most financially responsible way they can. And it's not always it's not always their own stuff. It's not always their own crop. Um, I don't know if I'm making any sense here, but I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. Ah, uh, number seven, your favorite red wine with hints of toasty oak was not aged in oak barrels at all. What? This doesn't surprise me either. Um. There's no harm in substituting vanilla extract for the scrapings of a, of a vanilla bean when making cookies or ice cream. This is true because vanilla beans are fucking expensive. But would you expect a winemaker to add in an oak extract in order to give the impression that his Cabernet Sauvignon or Pinot Noir was aged in bona fide expensive oak barrels? Apparently this trickery happens all the time. Oak essence is an extract made by soaking oak chips in high proof alcohol and they allow winemakers to add oak flavoring without going through the actual aging process. The obvious benefit is that it's cheaper because oak barrels can be 800 to 1200 a piece. Um and it, I'll I'll equate it to the uh to the beer world again. You you have your, you know, your your barrel aged beers typically in the craft beer world. Then usually when you see the either the crafty types or big beer trying trying to equate or I'm um, trying to uh, oh fuck sorry yawns are kicking in I'm even boring myself what the fuck um, when the crafty beers or the big beers try and do something similar usually they age it on oak staves it's not quite the same but it's very similar they're, they're going they're going with a a different um, fuck. A, a, a different method, shortcuts. They're not aging it in the barrels. They're going with an easier route that's cheaper. Um, they think it gets the same flavor out of it. I, I would, I would be willing to bet that oak essence, the you know, a sommelier is not going or um, is is going to be able to tell the difference. Um, there, there's no substitute for the real thing. I thought this one was quite interesting. Number eight, wine critics aren't necessarily more qualified than bloggers. And this is true. Um, I mean, you look at uh, beer experts out there. I'm not a beer expert. Um, Am I qualified to talk on certain things? Maybe. Uh, Just in terms of experience, do I necessarily know better than, say, a Cicerone? My palate might not, but I know what I like. Um, I can kind of gather what other people like in certain ways. So does that Cicerone, is that Cicerone more qualified to say, you know, recommend a particular beer to, you know, to Brent or to Dennis or to Mitch? You know, 
are they more qualified than me to recommend that beer? Not necessarily. So, um, but, uh, they said if we drew a line in the sand and asked established wine critics to stand on one side and amateur wine bloggers to stand on the other, we'd immediately expose an ongoing war of credentials. Wine bloggers are correct in assuming that many notable critics have bypassed formal beverage industry education in lieu of, quote, life experiences. They take great pleasure in declaring that major critics are class act bullshit artists. Um, the relationships uh, between the two camps is complicated when the critic unleashes... God, hold on, I need a drink. When the critic unleashes a bad score or expounds on the subject of natural wines, wine bloggers will heap waves of tyrannical expletives upon them, but only behind closed doors. Put the same bloggers in front of the venerable critic, and you'll see them whimper in admiration and jealousy. The critic is well aware of this duality, and several of these esteemed scribes take great pleasure in lashing out against people they consider to be amateur fluff writers. See, it's a shame, because... Bloggers, I, I still think bloggers do not get the respect they're due a lot of the times. it they, They've been doing it for years, and they still don't get that respect. It, it, it's very strange, but such is the nature of the internet. Um, in truth, many amateur wine bloggers are anything but amateur, having earned legit credentials from industry-lauded institutions like the Wine Spirits and Education Trust, the Society of Wine Educators, or the Guild of Sommeliers, and many of them contribute articles to the very publications that major critics write for. Uh, does formal education trump life experience? Do professionals owe it to their readers to, own, uh, to earn a formal degree? Who then is rightfully deserving? Uh, fuck! It's going to be one of those shows already. See? Yeah, I got 20 minutes left, and I'm falling apart. Um, who then is rightfully deserving of the title critic? Um, would you guys respect me more if, um, if I had more, you know, credentialized qualifications? If I had certification, believe me, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to study to be a Cicerone because A, I can't devote the time to it. B, I can't devote the money to it. C, I don't think I had the proper palate for it, but mm, would I be more respected? Probably among my beer broadcasting, reviewing peers, but I think, uh, God damn <laughs> Marie's in the chat. Everybody's talking about beer. See, I, 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 uh, I bring about conversation. That's, that's the good thing right there. I, I, I may not be the most knowledgeable person out there. I may not be the most eloquent person out there. I may ramble on endlessly sometimes and stumble over my words, but I do fuel conversation sometimes. And honestly, that's what matters discussion, human interaction. That's the thing right there. Let me get the last two on this list here, and then I'll probably uh, bust into the uh, new releases and reveals for the week. Either that or I might uh, tap into one more news story. Number nine, master sommeliers and masters of wine need to loosen up. Whatever you do, don't call a master sommelier a master of wine, or she might just punch you in the palate. Why's it got to be a she? On the other hand, don't confuse a master of wine with a master sommelier or ah, okay, or he'll drop some self-important discourse about making orange wines from Slovenia. Both are highly respected accolades very few people achieve. Since 1953, only 366 people have become uh, masters of wine, and in four decades, 
only 220 have passed the Master Sommelier exam. Very interesting. If the wine industry cares about its future, the only people that should matter are the millennial and premillennial generations of up-and-coming wine drinkers. While the industry's masters have had their noses stuck in a glass for the last decade, the U.S. has become obsessed with alcohol, yet educators of the industry have made no progress in marketing wine education as cool or sexy. This is true. Look at the, di- the dichotomy between beer and wine. Wine is seen as... okay. Wine is seen as more classy. Beer is mm, not as much these days anymore, but it, historically it's seen as more lowbrow. So wine is more hooded hoodie, upper class. And therefore it becomes not as accessible to people that want to get into it. It, it, it is an intimate wine Wine education is such an intimidating thing. That's why it's been difficult for me to really, really get into it. Beer, much more accessible. Wine, right or not, it, it is it is an intimidating market to get into. Um, they finish this entry. We need more masters like Laura Maniacs or Brian McClintock's, more Ian Cobbles or more cool-as-fuck old-schoolers like Tim Haney and Fred Dame. I don't know any of these people. I should probably look them up, to shake up their peers and tap into that type of Gatsby-like coolness that comes along just once in a lifetime. And then the last one on here, bartenders and mixologists don't give a shit about wine. And uh, that is that is pretty much, you watch Bar Rescue, when do they ever do anything with wine? Never. Mixologists couldn't care less about a wine list, largely, largely because they never bothered to learn anything about wine. These shaker tin junkies lose sleep over carrying the right artisan mezcal, small batch bourbon, or barrel-aged gin, but with wine, it's easy. Give me a Pinot Grigio, an expensive champagne that I'll never pour, and five cheap-ass reds that'll be served at room temperature and glassware that looks like Ikea and Walmart slept together and birthed a new line of ugly utilitarian glassware babies. These same bartenders would rather recommend a glass of Fernet Branca over a glass of wine. A few factors are at play. The partners of the bar are squarely focused on craft cocktails, relegating wine and beer to necessities in case someone doesn't get that they're a cocktail bar. Fair enough. Uh, Training is another factor. How many bartenders and mixologists have really taken the time to enroll in any kind of wine certification courses? Again, I know it's, it's a very small sample size, but watching Bar Rescue, I have never seen a single wine ever served on that show has it have it, it may have and i just don't remember it but if if they did it didn't jump out to me um of course there'll be 16 different variations on every classic cocktail each served in those antique crystal coops they found under marie antoinette's corset but if anyone asks for a glass of wine the bar will suddenly shift from world class to whatever in a heartbeat uh as more cocktail bars shake the speakeasy cliche cliche and shift towards a more democratic balanced approach to crafting a watering hole hopefully wine drinkers will benefit from a smarter approach to vino so um oh god damn wow uh <laughs> let's see uh oh, okay marie knows a master sommelier jo- uh, george milliot works in her building uh he is at twitter.com slash the wine expert you know what? Um, I, I'm 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 tempted to follow this dude because I I 
I think he, uh, you know what? I am going to follow him. So check him out uh, at the wine expert because maybe he will have some information for me when it comes to wine. Uh, I, I want to learn. I really, really want to learn. Um, and <laughs> when she walked by him, he, uh, she yelled it in his face and, oh, okay. Uh, Marie has the full list of, uh, wine masters, uh, or master sommeliers. We have, uh, mastersommeliers.org. So check them out there. Um, and she's, she says, uh, George, I'm probably mispronouncing his name. Uh, I'm going to say George Miliotes, or it's Miliotes. It's one or the other, but she says he's pretty cool. I, uh, she asked him what wine pairs with the taco, and he gave her a real answer. It was some white wine. Apparently, she doesn't remember the specific white wine, but it was a white wine that would pair with a taco. Um, now, the question is, what kind of taco? Is it a beef taco? Ah, Miliotes. Thank you, Marie. See, that helps. <laughs> you know me. I can't, I can't pronounce a damn thing. Um, I need everything spelled out phonetically for me. But... Um, is it a beef taco? Is it a chicken taco? Because I could see a white wine going more with a chicken taco. Uh, maybe a carnitas taco. But a beef taco. Mm, oh, he said a white wine with a beef taco. Interesting. Ah, I'm very curious. Because I, I would have guessed a red wine. But I will I will defer to his judgment there. Very curious about that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to check out his Twitter feed a little bit more. Because I'm uh, very interested in that now. Um... Well, since we're since we're uh, getting down to getting down to the nitty gritty end part of the show, let's get into the uh, new beer releases and reveals for the week. Uh, the first one I got here is actually uh, kind of a strange one. This this is a big beer release. Oh, Marie's gonna look it up now. Nice, thank you, Marie. Um, it's from Miller Coors. Coors Peak Copper Lager. Why am I talking about a new Coors beer? Well, it is because up until this point, Big Beer has been content to leave the gluten-free segment of the market to their ciders. Well, this is Coors' entry into the gluten-free market. Uh, let's see. I think I have an article for this uh, from Ad Age to uh, kind of supplement uh, the information here. Uh, Miller Coors will launch Coors Peak Copper Lager starting in Seattle and Portland. Um, so basically, they're trying to they're trying to cash in on the gluten free trend. Uh, oh, duh! I I reading this article. I didn't even realize this. Uh, they're talking about how Anheuser Busch in 2006 launched a gluten free brand called Red Ridge that's made with sorghum and is available nationally, but has remained a relatively niche brand. I've actually tried Redbridge. I remember that. It wasn't bad. Um, it wasn't great, but it wasn't bad for a gluten-free beer. So, let's see. Miller Coors. Um, given production limitations, there are no cur uh, currently no plans to expand beyond Seattle and Portland. So, if you're a hipster in Seattle and Portland that doesn't uh, ingest gluten, well, you're in luck. Otherwise, uh, sorry. Uh, it's a light to medium-bodied, crisp copper lager with a malty, slight caramel profile offset by subtly spicy hops, and the finish is slightly bitter, crisp, and perfectly balanced. The beer contains 170 calories per 12-ounce serving. So, interesting that Coors is doing this, 
equally interesting that they're limiting it to two different markets. I would gather they had to have done market research saying if it's going to sell, it's going to sell in these two locations the best. That's really the only thing I can think of with that. Otherwise, you would think a national release for that would you know, make a little bit more sense. But eh, who am I? I'm just some guy talking into a microphone. I'm not a, not a marketing guy. So they, they might know better than me. Uh, this one's not a new release in this case, but uh, rather a discontinuation. This was reported by BeerAlien.com. They're reporting that Stone is actually discontinuing their Levitation Amber Ale and sublimely self-righteous Black IPA. Now, I must admit, I am not 100% certain if I've ever had both of those. I see them all the time, but I've never had an occasion to pick them up. If they're being discontinued, I may actually pick up a bottle of each to give them a last hurrah, especially because I've been enjoying black IPAs more. Um, also, they're reporting that Stone's IPA, their just straight-up IPA release, is getting a reworked recipe. So, curious what has precipitated this change, especially considering they're expanding more. You wouldn't think they would take beers off the docket, but I'll keep an eye on that and uh, see what's going on with that, because... I, I would not expect Stone to be doing that. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, Marie found it. Let's see here. Uh, taco night tonight. Ever find a good wine to pair with a taco? Riesling or Gruner? Uh, a Riesling or Gruner? Uh, interesting. I, you know what? I could see a Riesling going with it. I don't know what a Gruner is, so I'm, I'm curious about that now. Search Google for Gruner. Uh, it is a variety of white wine grape variety grown primarily in Austria, Slovakia, and the Czech Republic. Hmm. Interesting. See, now I'm curious because I eat tacos a lot. In fact, after the show tonight, I'm eating tacos. It's Taco Bell, but, you know, you can pair Taco Bell with a wine, right? I think. Probably. Maybe. Um, next one here. Left hand. Great juju. Coming to 12-ounce bottles, it is an Imperial Ginger Pale Ale. Previously, was only a draft release. It's got a spicy ginger aroma with a balanced portion of sweet heat and caramel candy flavor. I've been seeing a lot more bombers coming out from brewers like Abita, Left Hand, that have been making their way to my area. So I'm hoping I see this one because I like to try different things. I'm not a big fan of ginger, but hey, why not? I'd try it. Uh, 7.2% ABV, releasing this spring. Left Hand's a great brewer. So I, even though I didn't like it, I'd be able to find the good in it. Uh, next one, from Elysian. Elysian Omen, Belgian-style raspberry stout. This was originally released as part of the 12 beers of the apocalypse back in 2012. Remember when, uh, you know, the whole Mayan prophecy and the world was supposed to end and all that bullshit? Well, now they're looking to possibly re-release it. It includes a tang of Washington raspberries, along with the classic flavors of Belgian yeast. It's going to be in 22-ounce bottles, 7.9% ABV, releases to be determined because, as I kind of implied, it's not quite confirmed yet, but it's looking like they're going to do it. Let me crack open the uh, the last beer here because I have one more beer in my bucket and god damn it, I'm going to open it, I'm going to finish it 
Chef Sprocket in the chat says, Kevin tries different things like jerking Mitch off with his left hand. Yes. So I normally, I normally, I normally like to go righty when I'm doing that, but sometimes I like to mix it up. Sometimes I like to use both hands. I'm sure Mitch likes that as well. God damn it! I knew what you meant, Seth. Jeez. Uh, let's see here. Last beer I'm pouring here. It's the uh, the pseudo Flanders Red. <laughs> Having problems typing, aren't you? Are you typing on your phone? Yeah, the farmhouse red, saison uh, Flanders style ale. Yeah, so it's not a pure Flanders. Stupid Flanders. Uh, let's see, did I? Okay, woodchuck, woodchuck. Ooh. See, it, it, as the show progresses, especially when I drink more, when I've had a uh, not fantastic day, it, it it gets interesting by the end. Woodchuck. Uh, this is another entry into their Out on a Limb series. It is Cheeky Cherry, created using a mix of culinary and bittersweet apples. Michigan tart cherries are added following fermentation to provide a deep red color and a tart sweet finish. Uh, it's 5.5% ABV. It's going to be on 12-ounce bottles and on draft, and it is releasing this month. Um... And I, I, I had I had the first out on a limb release, the chocolate raspberry. I enjoyed that. The second one they have, I, I it's a it's a barrel aged. I haven't tried that one. I I may, I'm not sure yet. If I can find it to build a six pack, I probably will. This one, I love cherry ciders. So I have a feeling this one, even if I only find it in a six pack, I'm probably still gonna pick it up. Um and uh Woodchuck's been winning me over with this. Woodchuck never really impressed me all that much. This Out on a Limb series is really doing it for me. Um, the, the, even the Cellar series was kind of hit or miss for me. And then we will end this with a couple from Abita here. Two new releases. Uh, first one here. We got the Bourbon Street Maple Pecan. Oh, looking forward to this one. Newest addition to their Bourbon Street series. I've actually been seeing bottles from the Bourbon Street series locally, so I'm very excited about this. I never saw Abita Bombers before, and now I'm starting to. So I'm crossing my fingers I'm going to see this one. Features the mix of bourbon barrels with flavors of maple syrup and pecan. Love pecan in my beers when it's done right. Um, yeah, <laughs> Jeff Sprocket says, Woodchuck always sucked. Glad they finally made some worth drinking. Yeah, Woodchuck's regular lineup just never really did it for me. I don't know. But the the, the new stuff they're doing, it, it's getting them outside of their comfort zone. I like that. So, uh, bourbon barrels, maple syrup, pecan, 22-ounce bottles and on draft, limited release, 8.5% ABV, releases to be determined on this one. But this other one, releasing, uh, supposed to be sometime this month, apparently, uh, again, I'm hoping I I hope I see this one. It's the Macchiato Espresso Milk Stout. You guys know I love my milk stouts. I love it when they add a little bit of coffee in there. So, oh, I want this one. If it doesn't show up in New Jersey, I beg someone to send a bottle to me. The base beer is a 6% ABV milk stout. Then Abita partnered with Louisiana's PJ's Coffee to add espresso flavor. It will be in 22 ounce bombers and on draft. It is a limited release this month, so 
Will I see it? Will I not see it? Uh, maybe, maybe not. But if you're in Louisiana, yeah, hit up a beta. Check it out. Let me know how it is. And I will live vicariously through you. Seven fifty-nine. I think that means the end of the show. So with that, bump into the Facebook group, Facebook.com/slash/groups/slash/alcohol/by-volume. The Facebook page, which admittedly, again, oh, one of these days, one of these days, I'm gonna do more with it. It's it's also a repository for the YouTube videos. Uh, Facebook.com/slash/mlr/alcohol/by-volume. Speaking of the YouTube channel. YouTube.com slash MLR Alcohol by Volume. New reviews every Saturday morning, uh, occasionally some in the middle of the week, but always Saturday, 9 a.m. That is when they post. Uh, I appreciate everybody that's been checking them out, everybody that's been subscribing, everybody that's even been commenting on them. You guys are fucking awesome. Follow me on Twitter at Odysseus, E-D-I-C-I-U-S at MLR underscore alcohol on untapped. I will accept just about any friend request. Uh, alcohol by volume, all one word. Coming up next, he's already in the chat, Sir Darkside with my time now, followed by, uh, well, and Marie's still in the chat, and she's part of this show, Dutch and Royce. I will see you guys next week. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you, everybody in the chat. I will see you guys next week. <laughs>